Father in heaven, thank you so much for this past week, for seeing us safely through another week. Thank you for the Sabbath that is here as well. And Lord, I just pray that you'd please be with us now. Guide us with your Holy Spirit. And as we study your word, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit desperately if we are to even have understanding and never mind gaining a blessing. Lord, we need to have ears that can discern and to hear your Spirit speaking to us. And so we're just asking that you please be with us. Guide us and lead us, O Lord, through this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing from what we studied pretty much every Friday night. We've been going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is the longest or one of the longest sermons that Jesus has ever shared. This is by far the most famous one. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're starting in verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. The Bible says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that what? Find it. There are two gates here that Jesus talks about. One is a straight gate, it's a narrow gate. The other one is a wide gate. The straight gate leads to eternal life and the broad gate or the wide gate, it leads to what? Destruction. There are two paths here and to not choose is really to choose. We all have only two choices in this world. What does it mean when we are studying about this straight gate especially because you know none of us want to go into the wide gate that leads to destruction. Really the, the question that we have in our minds this evening, even as we start out here, as we've read Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 is, how can we make sure we get in through that straight gate? Well, what does this word straight mean? If you look at the text here, if you're following along with me in your Bibles, you will see that it's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Straight as in straight road, there's no curves around it. No, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's talking about what? The word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, is a difficult gate. And it means this, narrow from obstacles standing close about. So it's like an obstacle course. There are things in our way. Do you see this? And this is what makes it difficult. This is what makes it narrow. So what is this straight gate all about? Because Jesus is the one that's telling us to enter into the straight gate. He's the one that's saying, look, you got to get into the straight gate because this is the one that leads to what? Eternal life. Now, is Jesus implying that he's the one that's going to make it difficult? Absolutely not. Jesus is not going to make getting into heaven and obtaining eternal life difficult for us. He's all about making it as easy as possible for every single one of us. So what does he mean that there's these obstacles? What is making it difficult? So look, 
Let's have a look at these obstacles, but we'll study this in a minute. Let's come back and let, pardon me, let's go to Luke chapter 13. Parallel passage, same description. Look at this, Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. Before we look at these obstacles, look at what we have to do if we are to enter in to the straight gate. Luke chapter 13, verse 24. This is what the Bible says. Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and what? Shall not be able. So what does the Bible say here? We have to enter into the straight gate, but in order to enter in, we have to do what? We have to strive. We have to strive. What does it mean to strive? Well, that word strive means to contend, to fight, to labor. Friends, if we want to obtain eternal life, if we want to enter into the straight gate, Jesus himself tells us what? We gotta fight, we have to fight. Why do we have to fight? What is this all about? There'll be obstacles, we'll have to fight. It's difficult, we'll have to fight. But friends, what should we fight for? Does the Bible really talk about this? Or is this just something that Jesus is talking about that seems to be a new doctrine? What does it mean that we have to fight? What are we fighting for? Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. What are we fighting for? Yes, um, in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke, it says we got to get that eternal life, right? We got to fight to get eternal life. Well, we see it in other parts of the Bible as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, what? An incorruptible. Those that strive for mastery, those that want to get gold in the Olympics, those that want to be the best in their sports or in their craft or in their singing, they have to fight, they have to strive. There's hard work involved. Do you understand that? And so if they do it, how much more we have to also strive, fight, if we are to obtain an incorruptible crown. Now let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. This is what the Bible says. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Friends, we have to fight the good fight of faith, and we've got to lay hold on eternal life. We've got to fight if we want to have faith. Do you see that? Sometimes we, we like to pick the, paint the picture of uh, following Jesus is an easy road. It's a bed of roses. Oh, friends, it isn't. It's difficult. There's obstacles. He himself, Jesus tells us, we have to fight. Let's also go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. What does the Bible say here? I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have what? Kept the faith. Friends, if we want to keep our faith, if we want to make sure that we don't backslide 
and go back to our former life. We got to fight. It requires effort, my dear friends. And Jesus, this evening, he is emphasizing that very fact. Just because you let Jesus into your heart, don't think it's automatic. Friends, what is automatic to us is sin. That's natural to us. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. You got to teach them how to be righteous. You got to share with them Jesus. You don't have to share anything bad with them. Friends, they'll pick it up from our example. They'll pick it up from their own tendencies. You know, when they learn to fight with each other, where did where'd that come from? It's just programmed into them. You see, they are naturally bent towards sin. If we want to be righteous, we got to fight. We got to strive. Let's go to one more text, Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Look what the Bible says here. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Do you see that? Jude says what? You got to earnestly contend. What does that word contend means? You got to fight. You got to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Friends, if we want to lay hold on eternal life, we have to fight. But why? What's the reason why Jesus is telling us to fight? Christian life is not a bed of roses, my dear friends. Look, Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. I think as Christians, we, we, we kind of get deceived thinking that if I just give my life to Jesus, everything is just going to be okay and that's it. That's all I have to do. All I need to do is get in the car, kick up, sit back and put my arms behind my head and Jesus will lead me all the way to heaven. Oh friends, it's not as simple as that. Jesus says, if we want to lay hold, eternal life. We got to fight. We got to strive to enter in to that straight gate, that difficult gate. And not because Jesus is making it difficult. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. I hope you're all there already. Verse 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels, what? Fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Friends, he was kicked out of heaven. And he wasn't just placed on earth. There was a test given to Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're the only ones that have eaten it. We're the only ones that have been foolish enough to eat of that tree that Jesus said, don't touch, don't eat, pardon me, not don't touch. That's what Eve added, right? But because of the war in heaven, let's continue in Revelation chapter 12. Come down with me to verse 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Friends, who is our first obstacle? What's the reason why we've got to fight? There's a devil hot on our heels. He 
hates us because we're made in the image of God. He, he's, got, he's got a problem with God, so he has a problem with us. You see that? So every time he sees us, we remind him of God. And so he attacks us relentlessly. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Let's turn our Bibles there. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Friends, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's going around because he's lost the great battle already. Since Jesus died on the cross, he's lost. But all we are is what you call collateral damage. He'll take whatever he can get. You see that? So he's just, he, he, he's destined for the fires of hell already, but he will take whoever he can get along the way, just so that he can hurt Jesus, so that he can hurt God, so that he can hurt us. Friends, this is the number one reason why we have to fight. Well, what does that mean though? You know, following Jesus is not just simply a bed of roses. It's not a simple path. Jesus says, in fact, the broad road leads to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. It's not the road that is easily chosen that it will lead us to heaven. It's the one that is a tough choice. It's the one that we've got to think twice about. Why? Because the devil is the one that whispers all these deceptive thoughts into our heads. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 7. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, where we found our opening text. And in Matthew 7, we are told also the reason why we need to fight. Matthew chapter 7, let's now read verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. What's the other reason why we have to fight? Beware of what? False prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravening wolves, friends. This is the agents of Satan. They're called false prophets. Do we see such things in the Bible in other places? Absolutely. Let's go over to Jude chapter 1. We read verse 3 just now. Jude chapter 1 and now verse 4. Jude 1 verse 4. The Bible says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old, ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there are certain men that are crept in unawares. Do you know the nature of deception is this? This is what I heard many, many years ago and it's just stuck in my head. Do you know what deception is? If you knew you were being deceived, you're not deceived. Does that make sense? If you know that someone is trying to deceive you, you're not deceived. Deception is this, you don't know. You don't know that you're being deceived. You understand that? And so these people, they crept in. We gotta be careful, they're false prophets. They, they are what? They are in sheep's clothing, friends. They come to church, do you understand that? You know, one of the first things I like to tell people usually when they come to my church, especially if they're serious about Jesus, and they're not, they're not Adventist or they're not regular, I tell them, look, my church is not perfect, okay? Don't just trust anybody. 
Test all things, Jesus tells us. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is true. Let's also go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. There's false prophets. There's people that are crept in unawares. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. I'm sorry, friends. I'm not meaning to bring any doom and gloom message. We are just following the outline of what we've been studying in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Look at this. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There are people that will spoil you, that will deceive you through what? Philosophy and vain deceit. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm telling you, friends, this gate that we got to get through is difficult. Not because of Jesus, but because of the devil. Okay? He's trying to get everybody to die with him in the fires of hell. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says this. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then jump down with me to verse 5. It says what? These people, they would have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such turn away. Friends, there are people that will be in the church. They will have the form of godliness. They will look like good Christian. They'll be nice people, it seems. But it's not enough. It's not enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, 14, and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into what? Apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Friends, these are the agents of the devil upon earth. False prophets, he has pastors. Do you see that? They're apostles transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. It's no great thing that his ministers also be transformed into ministers of righteousness. It's not because they suddenly had conversion, but friends, the devil goes to church too. Do you understand that? He has his agents, even especially in church. The false Christian, the false pastor, the false elder, the false prophets. He has people that has crept in unawares. The false Christian who has a form of godliness. Oh, they're able to say happy Sabbath. That's the easy part, friends. And sometimes they even dress better than those that are true Christians. Do you understand that? We've got to be careful. And Jesus, he tells us how we can detect them. Okay? He tells us how we can detect them. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start there in verse 16. Friends, now look. What I don't want you to do is go around everywhere and go, hmm, I think he's a false apostle. Hmm, I think he's a false prophet. Hmm, I think this is person has a form of godliness. That's not what Jesus is trying to tell us to do. However, he does warn us about it. Let's make sure first 
we are not the false Christian, eh? Let's make sure first, we are not the false pastor. Make sure first, we are not the false prophet or apostle. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Ye shall know them by their what? By their what? Their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, of figs, of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby, by their, wherefore by their fruits ye shall what? know them. He repeated it twice, and really this whole passage is fixated on just one thing. What is it? Fruit. Friends, can you see fruit? Yes. Can you taste fruit? Yes. Can you smell fruit? Yes. What am I trying to say? What? I'm not saying that you got to smell and taste a person, okay? But you look at their actions. You look at their fruits. You look at the things that are visible. Do you know what Jesus is telling us to do, friends? He's telling us to judge. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7, he says, don't judge. Judge not so that you be not judged, right? But what was that sort of judging that we were looking at? Hypocritical judging. You got a beam in your eye and that person's got a little speck, a little piece of straw in their eye. Make sure you cast out the beam out of your eye before you start going judging other people, right? But here, Jesus is saying, what? You will know them by their fruits. Judge them. Make sure you judge them. Otherwise, you won't know whether they're false or true apostles. You'll not know whether they are false or true prophets. You got to judge them. You got to test their fruits. Well, what does that mean, friends? What are we to test? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. What are some of these fruits that we can look at? Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. Matthew 12, verse 33 and 34. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Verse 34. O generation of vipers. He was speaking to the Pharisees. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaketh. Friends, you will know a person if they are a true prophet, a true minister of Christ, a true Christian, by what they talk about. Okay? By what they speak. You will know them by their fruits. Is that visible? Absolutely. They don't take God's name in vain. They don't lie. You see, that's got to do with the Ten Commandments, right? So we, we start basically there. So you will know them by their words, their conversation. What do they like to talk about? Are they talking about movies all the time? Are they talking about the latest fashion all the time? Is that all they're focused on? You know, why? Because it's got to do with our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow, other tr translation says, the overflow, the cup gets full, it just comes out. You can't help it. You might be able to hide it for a little bit of time, but friends, you will know them 
by what they talk about, how they talk, not their accents, not their language, whether they can speak good English or not. No, but what they choose to talk about. Let's go to another text, Galatians chapter five. This one is probably the one that you thought of first when you talk about fruit. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Friends, what is this talking about? This is talking about character. You'll know them by their character, how they treat people, how they react to certain situations, different things. You'll know them whether you should trust them and follow them. Now, you remember, we studied about last week about the eye and when you behold that which is good your whole body is full of light and if you behold that which is dark your whole body is full of darkness friends there's no gray areas in life do you understand that you are either holy gods or you're holy the devil are you with me there's no 50 50 sometimes i'm gods and then on the weekend, you know, that's when I, I go to church and, 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 and I'm God. But then during the week, I'm the devil. No, it can't be like that, friends. It's not as easy as just flipping on and off a switch. The most effective agents that are able to deceive are those that are half-hearted Christians. Do you know that? You'll know them by their fruits. How they talk, the department of life, their character, friends, the greatest test for a man or a woman is how they treat their family. Is how they treat their family. Let's start with those that are married, how you treat each other at home. And then how you treat your children when you're at home. And then how you treat your parents, how you treat your in-laws, how you treat these people. Those are the ones that know the best of the sort of person you are. You know, and sometimes you think we can just be who we are at home and then we try to flip a switch when we go out. But friends, it's not that simple. You can't just simply walk out of the devil's domain whenever you feel like it, friends. There's got to be thorough conversion. But what are we talking about here ultimately? Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Let's turn our Bibles there. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is what? No light, zero percent light in them. Do you see that, friends? They might do good community service. They might be meek and humble people. But ultimately, it comes back to what you preach and teach. These both are important. I'm not saying that one is more important than the other. Look, the Pharisees, they, they taught some truth, but most of it was wrong. And then they were bad character as well. But there are some people that are nice people in the world. That, and I hear this all the time. Oh, my friends at school, my, my friends at work, they're, they're better than these people in the church. You know, they help me with money. They help me with food. They, they do all these sorts of things and they're nice people. And friends, we should be nice people. But nice is not enough. You understand that? Nice 
is not enough. Why? Look, the Pope's a nice person. It doesn't mean that we should go follow him. Do you understand that? There are many nice people out there that are just genuinely nice, but they're genuinely deceived, or they're intentionally deceived, and they're out to deceive you by being nice. Do you see that? So being nice is not enough. Yes, the true Christian must speak properly, must treat people nicely. They must have love. They must have joy. They must have peace. They must have all these good characteristics. But eventually, you got to test them by what they teach and what they preach. This is very, very important. How to strive, friends. We've got to fight for the faith. Let's turn the Bibles to Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Let's go there. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, the Bible says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul is telling us, we've got to strive. How? Prayer. This is the first way we can fight. If you want to fight against the devil, Human wisdom is not enough. We need supernatural power. We need supernatural wisdom. We need supernatural strength. We need prayer. And you know what's so interesting? At the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, do you remember that? We studied about the Lord's Prayer, but on either side of the Lord's Prayer, there were three things that we learned. And one of them was what? Fasting. We got to learn to fast and pray together. Pray in the closet. We've got to pray secretly. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, you know. We've got to be careful to pray. But then, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. Here is the main reason why we really need a fight. Yes, down to its fundamental issue, apart from the devil and false prophets, What is it? Hebrews 12 verse 4, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against what? Sin. Friends, we got to fight against sin. We got to fight. How? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And you know where I'm going with this. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on what? The whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Friends, look, you don't put on armor when you go to a party. Do you understand that? You don't put on armor when you go to a wedding. You don't put on armor when you go to a nice occasion, a dinner. You don't put on armor 
to relax at home. The only reason why we got to put on armor is when we go to battle. Jesus is telling us we got to fight. We got to strive. And how? When you look at this armor in Ephesians chapter 6, the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalms 119, 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. It's the word of God. That's where we find the Ten Commandments. The belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Sanctify them through thy truth. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. It's a Bible. Helmet of salvation, how we saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Where does faith come from? Hearing from the word of God. It is the word of God that tells us about Jesus who saves us. The shoes is easy. The shoes of the gospel. Shield of faith. Where does faith come from once again? Hearing the word of God. And sword of the spirit. It tells us in his definition, it is the word of God. And right after that, verse 18, what does it say? Praying with all prayer and supplication. Prayer. Friends, there are only two things that Jesus says. If you want to be successful, if you want to lay hold of eternal life, if you want to fight, you just need two things. Prayer and the word of God. And friends, you did not need to go to church to get these two things. You understand that? We've been in lockdown for two months. You don't need to go to church to hear the Word of God. In fact, maybe some of you have been hearing the Word of God even more during this lockdown. Praise the Lord. But this is the two ingredients that Jesus says, if you want to enter into the straight gate, this is how you fight. And it just so happens that in Matthew 6.33, we're told what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. What is that? His righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Seek first to put on the armor of God. In Matthew chapter 6, we are given the ingredients on how to detect the false prophet. How to detect who is moved by the spirit of the devil or moved by the spirit of God. In Matthew chapter 6, if we would learn to pray, if we would stop worrying about our food and our clothing and learn to seek first the kingdom of God, oh friends, the devil would make no ground upon our lives at all. We would be able to begin living eternal life today. Not literally in a sense that we're not going to die, but friends, if you have Jesus, he says, though you were dead, yet will you live again. I am, he says, the resurrection and the life. Friends, we can begin today. We can begin to fight. And look, we all have this experience. It's not easy. You even got to fight to study the Bible. We got to fight to be righteous. We got to fight to walk with Jesus. We got to fight we want to learn to pray. What are we fighting against sometimes? Most of the time itself, our laziness, our lack of desire, our, our doubt. How is this going to help me? God, how is reading your Bible going to help me with money? I need money right now. 
You understand that? Most of the problem is right here. And this is what causes us to not fight. You know? But friends, Jesus says today, you got to fight. Some of us, you got to fight to wake up early tomorrow. Some of us, we got to go a step further. You got to fight to make sure you keep your phone on airplane mode so that you will wake up and spend time with Jesus first thing tomorrow. Too many of us, we get up and we start looking at stuff and before you know it, it's been one hour and you've run out of time. You have no time to read the Bible. You have no time to pray. Friends, if we got to fight, let's start fighting for this. Making room for the Word of God. Making room for prayer. And friends, if we do, the guarantee from God to us, we've already studied, He's more than willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask, right? If only we fulfill the conditions. And today, friends, I'm telling you, you got to fight. You got to put more effort into your Christian journey. If some of us put in even half the effort that we do for our schoolwork or even our work, the, the brain power that we use to go and search for money and to, to study for our exam to make sure we get straight A's and get into the course that we want or get our desired job when we graduate. If some of us studied even half as hard on, on the Bible and put in just half as much of effort, our church would be in leaps and bounds ahead and we would be finishing the gospel work in our generation. Friends, it's not because we don't know how. It's most of us, we lack the motivation. We lack motivation. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to pray one prayer. God, give me a greater thirst and desire for your word. Pray that. Because I know many of us, our walk even with Christ sometimes is dry and brittle. Easy to just break. It's, it seems I have, have lost its passion, you know. And some of us, sometimes we talk about our Christian journey from 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I remember those days and what are we today? Friends, this fighting is an everyday experience. Just as you have to be fighting to be faithful to your wife every day. Just as you got to be fighting to be faithful in your work every day. Just as you have to be fighting in your, and faithful to your exams every day to study. Being faithful to God is a lifelong experience. Friends, what do we call that? Sanctification. If we are to be saved at last, you got to fight. You got to shake off that lethargy. You got to sweep away the dust. You got to get up and you got to just start doing it. There's no qualms about it. There's no two ways about it. I was just talking with a friend the other night and, you know, a lot of people ask me how to get out of depression, how, how, how to handle, you know, horrible feelings and things like that. And I tell them exercise. And so many of us, we don't do it. We don't. We don't put in the effort. Because we don't, we remain where we are. Friends, any 
thing in life, if we are to be good at it, if we are to gain ground at it, it's going to require effort, including our Christian journey. And so let's stop thinking that this is different to everything else that we do in life, that we got to put an effort to find money. We got to put an effort to, to study. We got to put an effort to work. We got to put an effort to make our marriage work. And then when it comes to God, I just kick back and relax. Oh no, friends. Let's put them all on the same level tonight. And tonight is not about putting Jesus first or second or third. It's not about that. It's effort. No, you are not working your way to heaven. But it still requires effort. And so friends, pray for that. Let's pray tonight. God, give me the desire. Give me the passion. And then, let me not wait for it. Let me go and pursue it. Yeah? Because I know that if I get this master's degree, I can be promoted. If I get that PhD degree, I can get a higher salary. Yeah, I know if I can get the straight A's, I can get into the course I want. If I will read the Bible every day and I pray every day, I will lay hold on eternal life. And so friends, let's do that today. Let us make the effort tonight. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't go, okay, tomorrow I gotta wake up early. No, tonight. Make sure before you go to bed, you pray and you spend some time in the Word of God, okay? And if you're not understanding the Word of God, then you start with something else, Spirit of Prophecy, Sabbath School lesson, whatever it is. But you are going today to start making effort to make sure you walk with Jesus. Oh, friends, we've got we to gotta fight. We've got to strive. Few there be that find it. But I pray this evening, we would find it. Because as we strive, Jesus says, you will find me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, so many times we, we don't put our Christian journey on the same level with you. We, 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 put, we, we don't put our Christian journey on the same level with finding money, in fact. We work so hard for, for things that perish. We work so hard for things that are going to pass away. Lord, help us to reorganize our thoughts this evening. Help us to put effort first into walking with you today. Help us, Lord, not to put off our, our spiritual journey anymore. Some of us, Lord, we've lost our first love because we were hoping that our emotions would carry us through. But as soon as we got baptized, Lord, we backslid and we left and we're wondering what has happened. But Lord, tonight, help us put in that effort. Help us to say, I will arise and go to Jesus. Help us, Father. Strengthen us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these good impulses that you're placing in our hearts even this evening. And more than that, that as we put in that earnest effort, you begin to work in our hearts as well. So Lord, please, strengthen us as we learn to cooperate with you today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.